Hi, I'm Shereen Patek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives who are changing the marketing playbook for the industry one decision at a time. Most people talk about the golden age of television. That's true. I've been binging a lot of television shows. It also happens to be, I think, the golden age of audio, which is I'm so excited to welcome my guest today. John Harabin is Chief Marketing Officer at Audible, the audiobook company that's owned by Amazon. Hi, John. Hey, Shereen. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to talk about audiobooks, really, because I think that there is, I think what Audible is doing is so interesting from both a product perspective but also a marketing perspective. Let's start with sort of the big picture here. You've done quite a lot since you joined the company. Um, <laughs> I was just looking through sort of the list of accomplishments your team sent over. And I was like, my God, oh my John's gosh. Been, I know. Did you know they did that? I did not know. They sent it all over. And I was like, wow, John's <laughs> been really busy. Let's talk about kind of really crafting an overall marketing strategy for a company like Audible. What mm-hmm. Where do we even begin, and what does that actually look like when you're starting to do that? Yeah, um, I I think it's different for every company, but for Audible, uh, we really leaned into our purpose and really shined a light on our core belief. And our core belief is we believe the world is better when people are listening, that listening makes the world a better place. And we do that by giving our customers knowledge and insights from the most inspiring minds and the most compelling stories on the planet. And then with that, our customers are able to do their thing and utilize their talents to have an impact on the world. Hmm. And it sounds kind of Pollyanna, <laughs> but... <laughs> I wasn't but, gonna say it. <laughs> but it, but it's foundational to, to who we are. And we hear it from customers all the time. Uh, they tell us, gosh, Audible has made such a positive impact on my life because I listened to this great work that inspired me to take on a challenge that I was hesitant to do so because I listened to a story from a person that went down that same path. Or I now understand this complex issue that's helped me at work because this leader in this field explained it in such simple terms. Or I'm able to build a better relationship with people that I really care about because this perspective that I that I learned through listening uh, gave me the empathy and the ability to connect with that person. So it's pretty gratifying to to hear that. And when we leaned into that, it really became clear where uh, we take our strategy and our actions, really leaning into super serving. Um, our customers. Hmm. That's actually really interesting because I think you've you've mentioned so many so many themes and kind of words in there that I think all of them are pretty they're pretty buzzy right now, right? In the marketing oh gosh, circles. yeah. I mean, you mentioned purpose. You and I want to yeah. start with the purpose thing because it it's definitely feels more than ever that we've talked about this on the show all the time, and I think that the the rise of brand purpose as like an organizing discipline for every marketing department and chief marketing officer has definitely felt palpable in the last yes. couple of years, right? And you've you've sensed this. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a almost um, cynical when I read it or hear it. So uh, I, it's almost like when I first heard the term, mm-hmm. I uh, I'm like that sounds like something you like stamp on the top of a scientific abstract. Our purpose is to analyze the DNA sequencing of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like that's, you know, I, I would almost classify it as missionary or missionary zeal. You know, there's almost like a religion that we have at Audible about 
getting people to listening and putting these great insights into their earballs so that they can consume it and therefore have a whole new perspective in life. When you think about it, there's all these shallow, quick tweets that um, are filled with lots of words um, and good words, uh, big words, excellent <laughs> words, and uh, the best words ever. And uh, these words um, are often pretty shallow. And when you want deeper, richer insights from experts and leading thinkers mm. and compelling stories, that's when people come to Audible for, for deeper, richer knowledge. What has, um, I'm going to ask you kind of to take off your Audible hot just for a minute, because I am curious about just as somebody who works in marketing and has worked in marketing for a really long time, and, you know, even going back to sort of your days at Verizon before this, but what has accounted for the sudden zeal that marketing officers have had for the rise of brand purpose recently? Beyond beyond the thing that, okay, well, that maybe some of their products do actually, like yours, I think, fit nicely into that, which is we are making people's lives better. This is pretty And it's purpose. been foundational since sure. the founder's you know, right. vision. Yeah. But overall, from like a marketing perspective, purpose seems to have just become it. That's what people are talking more and more about. What's happened? What's changed? Yeah. Um, I'm not a cultural anthropologist, although I... I hobby is one. I hobby is one, and uh, I believe that initially marketing was uh, very brand focused, where you had a brand set of values and promise that you made to customers. Then, with the advent of the digital age, people started optimizing funnels and converting, and that's very empirical, very quantitative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like left brain meets right brain, and I think go back about 10 years, there's almost this tension between each side. And I believe that the reconciliation of that has resulted in purpose as a unifier between the brand marketers uh, that speak to the heart and the empirical conversion marketers that speak to the head. And that enables them to come together on one common mission. How much of that was also just, uh, I'm going to use the word disappointment, although I don't really mean to use the word disappointment, disappointment in sort of the promises of digital. I think there was this idea that digital advertising was going to solve everything. It was going to be really measurable. It was going to give people all these, the answers to all the questions they'd wanted. They were able to talk to consumers right, the right place, right time, context, all of that. And how much of it was, well, actually, digital advertising, A, is rife with issues, mm-hmm. and B, it's kind of not enough. Like, we have to, to your point, kind of go back to almost the more human side of it, which is where the storytelling comes in. That's where the consumer comes back in. How much of those? How much of that disappointment was there? Uh, I think it was uh, uh, there in spades. Um, and when you think about it, people almost became fearful of anything that they couldn't measure. We shouldn't demonize those things that we can't measure. I think there was this um, astrophysicist that once said, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And and I believe that uh, we're never going to find those scalable, serendipitous discoveries if we don't expose ourselves and take some risks to things that we possibly can't measure. That's, and that, and I completely agree. I think that's so true. There's so much, and especially when you're talking about like a, you know, consumer-centric model that you can't really measure. But 
also everyone has a boss and everyone's boss is looking at, yeah, you said you were doing this thing, but you know, what's, what's happening? Like, what's the results? What's, and I think, you know, every marketing, every brand manager at your company is you looking over their mm-hmm. shoulder and you then have somebody else looking over their shoulder, over your shoulder. So it's, it's funny to me because I think like those two things almost play, it's so hard to, for them to play together in the sandbox and really, really requires, I think, people to sit down and say, we are going to try things that we may not be able to measure. Is yeah. that something you did? Or oh, is yeah. That I, that happened? I think I, I think it's interesting. I mean, there's always, we're going to, we're going to do all the things that we need to, to funnel optimize and convert and bring on customers. That is standard operating procedure. But what are those cool projects that we're taking on in addition to that? Everybody should have one. Mm. And we knew, um, last year we knew that we needed to develop original and exclusive content that we make available to our customers. But we didn't know where to start. Hmm. This is not a new concept. Netflix does it. HBO does it. We started doing it for audio. And we had one purpose in mind, reach new audiences, not serving our existing customers, but how do we bring in new customers into the Audible ecosystem through content? And And the way to do this really was kind of original content? um, I'll give you an example of where we did it with original content. We didn't know where to start, but we data led us to a self-development author that had an audiobook that was trending really well. The author was unknown, but we started watching the trends and then we featured it in our merchandising and gave it a little bit more exposure. Sales then increased significantly. So we're like, wow, this author has legs, this story has legs. And nobody heard of her, but we took a risk and we approached her and said, would you develop an Audible original with us? Mm-hmm. And by original, I mean that it's not available in ebook form. It's not available in print form. It's only available on Audible. And she did. Six months later, we're in market. And immediately, that title became a bestseller. Then we did it again nine months later. And her second title sold twice as much as the previous title. She started building a community. A television producer recognized her talent. She now has a nationally syndicated talk show. Uh, And last month, we launched her third Audible original. So to me, we never could have measured all this impact. You couldn't have predicted it. There's no algorithm that would have led us to this journey. Data did identify that opportunity, but it was the creativity and the engagement from the team that allowed to bring that talent to life mm-hmm. and expose it to our customers. And our customers fell in love with this talent. So how much of kind of, you know, Audible's future growth, you know, is really focused on kind of doing more original and work that you're sort of working directly with the creators to do? And but also a large part of the engine of your business is, you know, great authors with existing ebooks that then also appear in audio form. What what is kind of the priority and what's the thing that you're sort of most excited about? Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. No, you it, can do both. We we can and, and we will. We always will be the place where people uh, get those bestsellers and it's incredible. But we want to keep them listening in between those. Uh, so we have to cultivate Uh, how to personalize our experience to you who may have come in for a bestseller, but there's so much else available to you. How can we provide that to you in between those moments? And that's where the role of originals comes in. That's where the role of uh, direct relationships with creators comes in. 
uh, because we could probably reach so many more people by tapping into adjacent categories that aren't really served by traditional audiobooks. So how much, um, I'm curious about kind of, you mentioned earlier, like this is a way to, I think you've said two things. This is a way to A, get new customers that mm-hmm. maybe, they, maybe they're more readers with like words, but the only way they can get certain books that, or certain content really that you're working on is by going through Audible. Yep. So that's new customers. And then also keeping existing customers engaged. Yeah. Talk about, do you have sort of like a formula? Like we know what kind of books are going to do really well in audio formats. Because you're talking, you know, you're working yeah. with sort of all these creators and authors now. What is, what's the sauce? What's kind of the yeah. secret formula? Yeah. You can imagine being an Amazon company. We're pretty sophisticated on the tools and the measurements and the the systems to identify how to personalize content to individuals. I mean, that's foundational to who we are. But when you think about how we kind of infuse that that DNA into our, our organization, because we believe that customer obsession is like mm-hmm. DNA, uh, we, we do a number of things, uh, not the least of which is really focus on the customers that love us. And it sounds a little like obvious, but there's so much buzz right now um, about customer experience and the broken windows theory of customer experience. If we just fix the little things, everything will come together magically. And I don't dismiss the value in fixing the little things and the fact that one plus one could equal three. I believe that. But I believe myopically focusing on that is uh, analogous to cost-cutting your way into growth. It just is illogical. It doesn't scale and it doesn't work. So while we have efforts to do that, we really focus on customers that love us, our most passionate, engaged, enthusiastic customers. What are they doing that others aren't? And we recently identified a couple trends that allow us to really better serve our existing customers. One is that they would talk about this kind of esoteric feature that nobody really knew about, and it's the ability to purchase Audible book three packs, uh, three credits, and nobody knew about it, and they were sharing it in like a little secret. I'm like, why don't we make that discoverable to everybody? We put it everywhere in the buy path, one click away. It raised revenue for all of our customers, and it became the default um, most favored way of engaging with our most valuable customers. So it was a win for everybody by focusing on them. We also were assessing what do these customers that listen to multiple genres do? Like, what's their, they, all, they have a core genre. What's the second favorite genre, right? Mm. We found that true crime was the second favorite genre for many of them. And, but we were underserved in true crime from content. So we leaned into it. We developed a true crime capability, hired investigative journalists. And now we have this amazing capability that we didn't have before. And we're launching all these true crime originals that are just doing super well. So, This is sort of like the orientation where data leads us to an opportunity, but then we use that to serve our existing customers so they engage more. So, I mean, you're you're turning into a content company. You're not a platform only. We're both. How? What does that mean for kind of the culture and the DNA of a company that you know started obviously as one, but obviously is evolving into a lot more as the customers are asking for it? What does it mean when you have investigative journalists as part of Audible? How does that change? How does that change a company like like Audible? Well, we're founded by a journalist and author, author so right. I think it has it always part of the always part of the DNA. What does it change though from like a 
from even just like a what are you looking for in terms of growth or KPIs? I mean, yes, the founder might have been one, but now suddenly a large part of the capability of the company is focused on creation, yeah. not just distribution. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean for your job? It, it means uh, it's so much more exciting to uh, develop stories around content to make franchises to help new talent be superstars. Uh, and as a marketer, I think it's much more exciting than trying to move, you know, sales of some product in the C store channel by 0.2 percent next year. You know, right. we want to grow. Makes things a little more, a little bit more fun. Yeah, exactly. Sounds good. We're gonna take a quick break for a quick ad, and then we'll be right back. So let's talk a little bit about the nitty gritty of the customer journey here, because you've got a lot of different things going on. You're using originals in a really intelligent way to get new customers. You're using it also to keep customers that may have come for. The Hillary Clinton book, but maybe you want to give them and show them, hey, okay, look, we want to we want to show you that we also maybe you like true crime. We also have all these originals going on. How do most people discover Audible? Yeah, we operate on a omni-channel basis, so many of our customers come to us through the Amazon channel. They search a book, they discover the audio version, they come to us. But mobile is becoming more and more prevalent in the way that we bring people into our funnel and our ecosystem. And we've been able to to really get that channel to scale for us Mm -hmm. in a way that we previously weren't. So that's probably our second largest channel right now. And how do you then kind of market in terms of customer acquisition? Because you've got you've got such a neat little <laughs> neat little purchase uh, there with Amazon because you've basically got Amazon doing a lot of that heavy lifting when it comes to getting you. Amazon's got lots of customers. Absolutely. And they can then lots of traffic, you. right? Um, what about people who maybe aren't coming in through Amazon? What do you do in terms of a more kind of, I guess, let's call it traditional advertising or yeah. marketing perspective? What does that look like? Yeah. So uh, full funnel. Um, marketing, so above the line media in all channels, influencers, video, social conversion marketing, down to performance marketing. We use all the tools that you would think a brand of our size would use. Anything surprising that you guys work, or I don't know, that you're you're focusing more energies on that people might not think about? Um, all the, you know, MMM, multi-touch attribution, LTV to customer acquisition cost ratios by channel, et cetera, et cetera. So, pretty deep measurement. The the interesting thing, though, for me, when we're trying to build a customer-centric culture, is the any lead on the team that puts something out in market has to pass the Mad Lib test. Do you know what Mad Libs are? Yeah. It's like fill in the blank. Okay. So, our, our and everybody knows it, the Mad Lib is simple. Audible provides X so that Y can Z. So Audible provides what we're doing so that why is it important to the customer? I think when I look across the industry and across marketing, I see a lot of examples where people are really clear on what they're, what they're doing, what they're selling. They're pretty clear about the customer segment too. And, and, and at Audible, we get that right most of the time. The hardest thing to get is so what? What does it mean for the customer? And that message has got to be coordinated through every part of the funnel hmm. so that the handoffs are simple and that they get that that message of what it means to you as a customer to join our ecosystem. Um, Can you one give me an th- example of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that uh, we would do that Audible did first and then it was adopted as an Amazon-wide practice is we saw customers come to us 
but they would fall off when they would need to sign into the app because we use Amazon credentials to sign into Audible. Mm -hmm. And then they would forget, they would delay, it would be one of those things that, okay, we'll retarget them and they'll go in our retargeting pool. So these were people who were coming in and then just, they were sort of getting stymied by this by the sign-in process. Yeah. Okay. They, they would they would just fall off then. It's a natural fall-off point, right? Sure. Sign-in and any final. But you would final. think because it's Amazon, it's not as natural a sign fall-off point as it might be for a different platform. But this was an app, right? So, so we at Audible um, worked to have single sign-on authentication with any Amazon app. And because we're a smaller company than other Amazon companies, and many people have Amazon apps on their phone, we were able to, to seamlessly say, oh, you're already signed in on Amazon or IMDB or whatever property, and now we'll bring you through our entire funnel seamlessly. So we did that, and then Amazon, other divisions of businesses of Amazon adopted that as a practice too. Very clean. Yeah. That's a good example of sort of the, one of the things, though, that you mentioned earlier. Like, you could fix the small things to make a big impact. That's right. That's exactly a perfect example of that. What about kind of more on the, and that's a that's a great example, and I want to talk a little bit more about the, the human side or the storytelling that we were talking about right at the beginning. What have you done with your advertising specifically that, you know, does feel a little bit more kind of, this is about the brand, this is about brand awareness, and maybe it won't be measured as cleanly, and maybe we won't be able to really say, okay, this drove an X percent lift. But what have you done from an advertising perspective that is genuinely closer to the storytelling? Because, yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. business you're in. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, we do a couple things. We focus exclusively on the customer, and we feature our customers in our ads, what it means to them. They get to tell their stories, and they're real customers. They're not made-up customers. So we go out of our way to identify uh, those customers that – bring them through a whole process, FCC-compliant process, in terms of capturing what they need to say and, and want to say, and then we we And those are them. your influencers? Th- no, these are real customers. These okay. are not influencers. How are you using influencers, then? So we're using influencers uh, to promote our product in their own terms and in, our, in their own voice. So we work both with YouTube influencers and podcast influencers. And also, we, we do uh, many... Uh, uh, events that highlight our original content. So uh, to speak to our creators so that we are that place that creators see, wow, we uh, were the partner uh, of choice to be with in the audio space. Um, we um, launched an exclusive with Broadway Video called Heads Will Roll featuring Kate McKinnon. We're doing another one with uh, John Cena called 64th Man next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll have large-scale events industry-oriented uh, um, messaging so that creators know uh, that we're, we're part of this community and that they should think of Audible for their next audio project. How does, how does a horse fit into this? Because I think Oh, gosh, you saw the people, horse thing? I think most people, when they're so typing in that, they do sort of remember and they go, wait, yeah. wasn't, wasn't it Audible that, yeah. that sort of tried to... What was it? What was it? And I think so people fun. sort of have that sense of it. But talk to... Talk, well. Tell first listeners who might not know what exactly you've done with Audible the horse. Yeah. Um, and then tell me why. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, Audible's got okay brand awareness, but not exceptional brand awareness, right? It's a newer category. So we benefit from any cultural moment that we can latch onto. And this horse called Audible popped up in everybody's Google feed uh, as, you know, a potential Kentucky Derby uh, winner. So I actually called the horse farm. (laughs) 
And I, I'm like, hey, uh, my name's John. What I work for Audible. What does the CMO Audible. do all day? Well, sometimes call, call horse, horse farms. farms. And they're like, uh, yeah. Uh, he's like, and, and it was hysterical because the guy on the other end is like, well, I can't give you a yay or nay on that right now. And I'm just dying when he said nay. I'm like, <laughs> so we named this whole project Project Nay. And we, uh, we, 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 we leaned into this and we <laughs> sponsored the horse. And uh, we got all this great exposure, all these great people to come out and talk about how they're rooting for Audible. And this is what they're listening to on Audible. And, uh, I mean, we did measure a bunch of stuff, but we had no idea that it was going to get such traction. We thought it was relevant. We thought it was fun. We thought it was authentic. And we just leaned into it. You mentioned on that just that, you know, like awareness is obviously a key goal. What um, what would you kind of say sort of other, you know, points of the Audible marketing are sort of key goals for you now? Yeah, I think awareness is is critical. And then keeping customers listening. Hmm. That Those are the two big big uh, goals for next year. Do you measure, I mean, are you measuring like how many, you know, books people are listening oh, to? Yeah. Do you measure what, and what are sort of the interesting kind of things there that yeah. people might not know about? Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, we have uh, a really avid listener base. If you are a member of Audible, chances are you're listening to about 18 or 19 books a year. And when you listen, you're listening to almost two hours a day. So um, really engaged. And we're a perfect solution for things like commuting or even seamlessly you can transfer from the app to your Echo or uh, your Alexa device at home. And people can listen like without losing their place on all devices. The, the thing is we want more of those people to come in hmm. to listen and we want those customers to stay more. Uh, so, Do people who read the books come back to listen to the same books? Um, that's a very, very, very small segment. Okay. So people are people mostly either listeners or readers, or, or are you sort of looking at both as a customer base? I, I believe people are, we know people do both, but by and large, 80% of their content is consumed in one format, either, you know, E or print or audio. But several people are choosing to listen to certain types of content via audio. For example, uh, many people... Um, that our ebook readers listen to nonfiction on audio because they do it in their commutes. It's not that escape moment for them where they're relaxing and reading. We want to give our customers experience beyond traditional audiobooks. They'll listen to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times on Audible or um, meditations or you know sleep sessions mm -hmm. on Audible that um, they they would normally read, but now they're listening in these so situations. Who, who is your competition? I think competition is anything that you can do when your um, uh, eyes are occupied, but when your mind is free. Like, that's the perfect solution for Audible. When you're walking, commuting, subway, cooking, that's when... So anything else you can do during that moment, that's our competition. So music? <laughs> music? Music is... Is competition, but I think people make a conscious choice there, music or non-music. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that competitive. I guess my last question then, what is sort of your biggest challenge as a marketer right now? Yeah. Biggest challenge as a marketer is to tap into new forms of growth through identifying new audiences and beyond our traditional audiobook audience and super serving them. Excellent. John, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Shereen. And that's all for today's episode of Making Marketing a Show by Digiday. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Pierre BNMA. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Head to your iTunes store, search for the show, leave us a review and a rating. It helps new listeners find us. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week.